All right, what's up, people? In about one minute, you're going to hear a new intro I recorded for the podcast. I have lately been doing a lot of reflecting and the longer-term trajectory and kind of mission of the Other Life Project is coming into a bit more focus for me. So I'm currently making a bunch of new little updates to the quote-unquote brand, if you will. Like, for instance, I just got a new domain name. It's now otherlife.co. So that's so much easier to say and write. I'm pretty pleased with that. It's the first time I ever spent more than like 15 bucks on a domain name. It was actually 130 bucks, which might seem like a lot, but actually in the world of businesses and stuff like that, people pay tons of money for a better domain name. So actually, you know, after doing this for two years and growing it out pretty well and knowing that I'm definitely all in on it and passionate about doing it for the long term. 130 bucks is actually not that much for a significantly shorter, sweeter, and easier to say and remember and easier to write domain name. So I'm pretty pleased with that. It's taken me also about like two years to finally sit down and write even just a one sentence summary of what this podcast is all about. And that's what's been fun about it is that's been just anything I've wanted at all times. And that's cool and all. And I actually think that's best for people who are doing really creative niche podcasts like about weird philosophy or science or obscure internet stuff, I think it's good to keep it very open and have no mission statement, no tagline, no one sentence summary of what it's all about at the very beginning. But once you start to get traction, then at a certain point, you really need to be able to tell other people who are coming to the podcast for the first time, you need to be able to tell them in one clear sentence, like what it's all about, or no one's going to subscribe. So it was increasingly clear to me that this was a impasse that the whole other life project was really currently struggling with. I know I've been there for a while and to level up and really kind of grow and pursue a longer term vision and future for, for the project. I knew I would need to really think about the branding a little bit more carefully and really sit down and reflect and commit to like what it's all about and what I'm really trying to do and communicate that clearly to newcomers and people who might just be checking my stuff out. You know what I mean? So it's inevitable. You have to do it eventually, I think, to to really level up. And yeah, I've been doing a lot of reflecting and it, things are kind of coming together in my own mind about how to do that. So that's one of the things I'm working on right now. And you'll see that in a few different ways in the podcast and the blog and, and the website. So yeah, I'm pretty happy about that. I'm excited and it feels good to really be reinvesting in a new season, if you will, of the podcast. So, all right. So Another thing that's new about this particular podcast is I'm talking to you solo. And another aspect is that this podcast in particular is going to be a practical one. And this is something I haven't done that much. Most of my podcasts have been interviews and they've been about interesting ideas that are very abstract and weird and a lot of you find interesting. But as I've been building out my systems and really pursuing hardcore, this kind of like post-academic um, independent, creative, intellectual life, I've been learning a ton about just practical stuff, uh, about how to do stuff on the internet. And I know that a lot of my audience who listens to this podcast are also, uh, in one way or another, trying to do their own creative projects on the internet. So I'm going to experiment with doing some podcasts like the one you're about to listen to, where I pretty much just tell you what I'm learning, or I tell you what I'm thinking uh, about some of these more practical questions for all of you out there who are trying to do your own creative internet projects as well. Maybe some of you who are currently subscribers don't care about this kind of practical stuff, in which case you can just skip over these episodes. It's all good. So 
yeah, I want to also tell you that if you have any feedback on any of these new changes or whatever I got going on, please go ahead and send me a message. I have a dedicated contact form at otherlife.co slash contact. Uh, see how easy that was to say and probably easier for you to type and remember. I also want to really encourage you to submit questions if you have any, like for the podcast. I'll try to answer them either in a video or a podcast or both. Lately, I've a few times I've kind of recorded a video answering a question I received from the public. And then I also can use the podcast if it's if it's good and valuable. I'll, I'll put the audio on, on the podcast, that kind of thing. Or at the very least, I'll just I'll definitely try to write you back. I generally respond to most things unless I'm super busy. But uh, yeah, so that's otherlife.co slash contact. All right. So for instance, the rest of this podcast is, is an example of the kind of format I'm going to be experimenting with. I'll still always be doing the interviews and the, the content that you know me for and that you've subscribed for. So that'll keep churning. But uh, I'm going to experiment with some formats like the one you're about to listen to. All right. Hey, everybody. My name is Justin Murphy, and this is the Other Life Podcast, where I talk with indie creators, digital hustlers, and unique internet personalities about how to escape from institutional conformity and succeed on the internet instead. To learn more about the Other Life Project, go to otherlife.co. That's otherlife.co. And if you like what I'm doing, I just have one quick favor to ask please go and just leave a review in iTunes. It really helps others find the show and I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much and a big shout out, especially to my patrons. I could not do this without you all. So thanks. And now on to the show. All right. So a few people have asked me this question over the past few weeks. And usually when people ask me the same question, I take that as a hint that a pretty hot topic. The question I've been asked recently a few times is, should you start a Substack? People have been asking, should they start a Substack? And if you don't know already, Substack is just a platform that makes it quick and easy for authors to launch paid newsletters. My take is that Substack is really only a good model if you meet at least one of the following two criteria. Basically, one is if you already have a sizable audience on some other platform, like you've been building cultural capital in some domain, and a lot of people know your name, and a lot of people are following you somewhere else. And you want to cash that out into a paid, financially sustainable writing project, Substack can be a very good model for you. The other case in which it makes a lot of sense, I think, is if you have a lot of authority and expertise built up in a domain that is considered useful that actually can help people do things in the world that can, especially if it can help them make more money. So if you look at the people that are really killing it on Substack, almost all of them meet at least one of these two criteria. Many of them actually have both of these criteria checked off. If you don't have either of these criteria checked off in your profile of your own writing project that you want to pursue, then rarely do I think Substack is going to be a good choice for you. I think instead, especially if you're someone like me, especially if you're doing more disinterested, academic, intellectual type of work, which is not immediately useful to anyone. If you're doing that type of work, or you want to develop your ideas in philosophy or art or literature, or you want to do creative personal writing, whether that be fiction or not, or creative nonfiction, anything like this, that's more 
intellectual and not immediately useful to anyone really is not going to do well on a Substack, I think. But you can do much better by doing some kind of free newsletter through a blog. And it doesn't even have to be a newsletter necessarily, although that's a nice way to do it. It can just be sign up here to get email updates on my new content when I publish it. But the basic logic being have a website, have a blog, own it, publish really good free stuff on there frequently, and encourage people to sign up with their email to some kind of free email service, whether that be a newsletter or just receiving content updates. I think for probably a majority of people who want to pursue some kind of longer term writing project on the internet, and they want to become financially viable, this is going to be far and away a better choice for many reasons. And I want to spend the rest of this video kind of explaining why this is. So I should say before I do that, first of all, Substack does let you build a free newsletter if you want to, just as well as a paid newsletter. But as we see, there are going to be a few reasons, I think, why that's not the best option if that's what you're trying to do. All right. So I would say there are a few reasons why most of you will be better off building a free newsletter and publishing free content to promote it on your own internet property. And I would say the first one is just that if you're not already super famous, and most of us aren't, then really one of your top goals should always be to keep growing your audience. And the best way to do that is to constantly create awesome free stuff and get that out there as widely as possible. A paid newsletter might get you some recurring revenue, like a small amount quickly, and that's cool, but you won't be publishing as much free stuff because you'll have to be delivering content for the people who are paying for it. So your audience growth necessarily is going to be significantly hampered by switching to a paid newsletter. And I think that's just not worth it. The amount of revenue you're going to get at an early stage before you have a big following, it's just not going to be worth it. You should be putting most of your time into making awesome free stuff and getting it out there as much as possible. But the other thing I want to say here is that super famous writers, people think of people like Matt Taibbi, who's an example of someone who's killing it on Substack. These types of people, they don't really need to grow their audience by making free content online because A, they already have a substantial following. They have substantial name recognition from years and years, a whole career of doing good work in other domains like traditional print journalism. But the other thing to notice is that these people, they have other ways of growing their audience. One is just the fact that when you have a large audience, simply by those people sharing your newsletter, even your paid newsletter, or telling people about your paid newsletter, that itself is going to allow you some growth. And you have that critical mass of people that are paid subscribers. So you're still going to get growth even with the paid model, even with everything paywalled. But the other thing is they can do things like become guests on top podcasts. That, st that type of stuff is easily available to them. They can do TV spots or they can do keynotes and stuff like that. All of these ways of getting your content out there and getting your work out there that isn't writing blog posts or making YouTube videos or whatever. So only a small number of people have access to that type of audience growth mechanism, if you will. So most of us don't. So if you don't have access to that and you can't easily get yourself on top podcasts, then your main way of growing your audience is going to be by doing awesome work and publish publishing it all over the place for free. Okay, so you don't want to try to pursue a monetization model that might work really well for certain types of people if the real reasons why it works for other people are reasons that you don't really have access to. The other big point here or the other main reason why I think doing a 
free content model is better than doing a paid newsletter is because, and again, this is especially for people like me, for people who are doing more disinterested research type work or what I sometimes call truth-seeking work that's not immediately valuable to anyone in any obvious way, what I call the indie thinker model, is that the fact is not many people are going to want to pay for your writing alone. Not to be harsh, but that's okay, honestly. It's never been the case that people have ever been really eager to pay just for a regular supply of words from people who are doing kind of abstract stuff that's not immediately applicable to them. It makes sense. Uh, it doesn't mean your work's not interesting. And in fact, quite the opposite. You can do really interesting stuff uh, for free that people really enjoy and want to share because it's cool, because it's interesting, because it's really creative, because of how it makes them feel or what it makes them think. And also because possibly after a, a certain amount of time and work in this type of research, you might actually really be onto something that other people don't know. And there's nothing more valuable than that in the long run. It's just a different kind of game. So for this reason, I think trying to do a paid newsletter when your work is more abstract and not immediately valuable to people, it's just really hard to get people to cough up money for something that doesn't have an immediate use value to them. And again, this is why some of the news, the paid newsletters that are killing it are, it's like financial advice and stuff like that. It's, it's super useful and it pays itself off pretty rapidly in a clear, it's a clear value proposition. So people doing the indie thinker model, my kind of work, it, more abstract work. It's just not a good way to go. But luckily, there are a, a good handful of ways to monetize disinterested intellectual work. And these are also demonstrated business models. But it's not the paid newsletter model. So I'll say a few words about what those examples might be. And the point, though, for the moment is just to note that to build an email list for free, just by giving people awesome stuff and just getting them to sign up to receive email updates from you. That is basically one of the best ways to build an audience that you can later do any number of paid offerings for, whether it be products or services or full-fledged businesses. If one day you wanted to pivot into some kind of startup or something like that, building an email list that's totally free to anyone who wants to be a part of it and just giving free content is pretty much the best base layer of like audience management techniques to from there launch anything. So what are some examples of offerings that more intellectual types of people can provide that actually have better value propositions that are easier to sell that make more sense and people are more happy to uh, give money for? I'll give you a bunch of examples. Some are obvious, probably the two most obvious would be books and courses. Uh, lots of people publish books on the internet and make decent money from publishing books. It's a tried and true business model. There are plenty of people killing it this way. Courses is another, right? There are lots of people doing six figures or more a year. So that's more than a hundred thousand a year. Way more people are making that kind of money doing courses than you would think. The word just hasn't really got out yet to people who are in academia or people who are thinking about going to grad school, people who want to pursue these types of more teacher-like professions. Online courses are an amazing space right now. But then there are other ways also, things like affiliate commissions or whatever. Again, it's a tried and true model. It's not hard to figure out. It's pretty easy to get started. That's where basically you just are essentially marketing other people's products. It only works well if there are things you can genuinely speak to and that you genuinely endorse, right? So I'm not saying all of these methods are going to be good. I'm certainly not saying you should do all of these methods. That would not be good. But um, 
my point is just there are many other ways later down the line to monetize. Another one would be mentoring or what in the business world they call coaching. I think coaching is a weird word for people who do more abstract stuff because again, it's not immediately useful. And coaching sounds like you're helping people with very specific goals and uh, very practical purposes. But for thinkers, writers, these types of people, mentoring, advising, and different types of supervision work have always been classic parts of being a professor, for instance. All of this stuff is going to more and more go online. The basic thing that people want from these types of traditional practices have online equivalents. The problem is just they come from these other disciplines like business or whatever. So the words are sometimes a little bit awkward. They sound like something different. But another example would just be straight up building a businesses or launching a brand of some kind, right? So you could do like merchandise if you have some kind of brand that's larger than yourself. Or one day, if your research and your writing work points in a certain direction that gives you a unique edge or a unique you see something that other people don't see, then there are often business models that you can launch off of that. And what all of these things have in common is that all of them benefit from having a email system backend. And all of them can be launched profitably from the basis of an email list of people that are interested in what you think and what you put out. Okay, so you can figure out later which of these you, you want to do. The point is almost all of them can be done from the basis of a large email list. So Therefore, build a large email list before anything else. Don't try to monetize that list, which is going to slow the growth. The other thing I just want to flag is that the all of these possibilities, another one, by the way, is, is premium communities. In some ways, the traditional university is like a premium c community. One of the things people pay for to go to university is they just want to be around other smart thinking people, right? In an environment where that is supported. So there are many opportunities for building that type of structure. And people are happy to pay for that. This is the point, though, that all of these different types of offerings are things that independent intellectuals can create in a very meaningful way that where your intellectual research and your intellectual background really gives you a genuine angle on creating these different types of monetization methods. And these types of monetization methods are just things that people more sensibly want to pay for. If you're an amazing philosopher, not many people, no matter how amazing you are, not many people are going to want to pay you like 30 bucks a year or 50 bucks a year just for you to send them philosophical disquisitions every week or so. Maybe if you're really good and you have real kind of uh, personal brand appeal, you can pull that off uh, for sure. But again, I'm assuming most of you are starting off because in any domain, most of the people are relatively uh, just beginners at the pursuit. And so... With that assumption, most of you are going to want to, in the long run, after you build an audience, want to come up with these different types of offerings that just make people more likely to buy it. Like people are content with, if you can give them a six-week experience where you're helping them to think and to write and to, and to discuss things that they're passionately interested in with a bunch of other people, like that's genuinely an edifying experience. That's what a course can do. And that's that can be potentially just absolutely transformative. And that's something that people can very reasonably think to themselves, oh, yeah, this is worth like 200 bucks to me, 400 bucks to me. That's a value proposition that makes sense. Whereas asking people to pay you for your philosophical disquisitions, it's a much harder sell and you're not going to have as much luck with it. And also keep in mind that if you go this route, every time you do a paid offering, you're not 
at the same time shutting down your audience growth. So every time you do a paid offering to a free newsletter, to an audience of, of people that you're just giving free stuff to pretty regularly, every time you launch a new paid offering, it's going to make a little bit more money than the last other things equal. Another thing to keep in mind, I think that I don't hear a lot of people talk about is the, is that when you're charging money for your writing as the kind of base layer of what you provide to your audience for money, the, it makes it a little bit harder to launch paid offerings later, I think. Because if people are already paying you a decent chunk of change just for your writings, and that's like their main relationship to you, later, if you want to do a course also or something like that, it's just a little bit more awkward, right? Because they're already paying you. Whereas if you're giving them free, valuable stuff on a regular basis, then you just feel a little bit more comfortable and confident later when you want to launch a paid product because you've built up this store of goodwill. And I think that's important. I think that's important to think about if you're really considering doing a paid Substack, because it might really impinge on your ability to launch paid offerings later. In the worst of cases, you might later, if you try to launch a paid offering, people might actually be upset. You might hear people say things like, oh, all this person cares about is money, because you don't have that store of goodwill where you're already giving them a lot of stuff for free. And you also, you just might get less people to buy into later paid offerings because they think to themselves, oh, I'm already paying this person a good chunk of change each month or each year. I can't afford to give this person more money on a course or whatever they're doing later. So this is just yet another reason why I think having a base layer of just free valuable content through some sort of email service provider is far better than trying to do a paid Substack. So just a few other random bits to this argument. The first is that Keep in mind that Substack takes a pretty hefty fee. I, last I checked, it's about 10%. That's quite a lot, honestly. So that's just something to, to think about. Most of the other ways you can do any of these things, the fee is going to be less than 10%. The other thing to keep in mind, this, the second little bullet point here is that eventually, if you're in this for the long haul, if what you really want to do is build up an audience over the long term and achieve a financially sustainable lifestyle doing creative intellectual work as a thinker or writer or creator or whatever you want to call it, you're going to eventually want more sophistication out of your email service provider than Substack currently provides. Maybe they'll expand it for sure, but at the moment, it's a really basic platform. The functionality they give you as a creator is really pretty bare bones. So in my case, for instance, I use ConvertKit, which is just one of many email service providers, but I think it's one of the better ones for people like me uh, who are if you're primarily a writer or, or blogger, it's made for bloggers and creators. So the development of ConvertKit over time is going to be catering to my type of person. And Substack, I believe, is going to be catering to paid newsletters. That's how they make their money. So they're going to put most of their development effort into paid newsletter authors. But ConvertKit provides many different functionalities. Like It's really pretty powerful. You can set up all kinds of automations. And it has all these different utilities for managing your list and for knowing things about who these people are and separating them into groups and just being able to make sense out of uh, who your subscribers are and to do things with that list of subscribers. I won't go into that here, but let's just say the functionality and the power is way greater than what you get uh, from Substack. Namely, it's the automations really that are most important. You can write automated sequences. So if someone buys a book from you, you can make sure that they get a thank you afterwards, that kind of thing, and much more actually. So yeah, ConvertKit has a free plan to get started. It, it, you, do, you do pay them 
after a certain number of subscribers because it is very powerful and it helps you make money from your audience or with your audience. And yeah, there's that, but they have a pretty nice free plan where I think you can get about a thousand subscribers for free. So usually what I tell people is if you want to build an audience over the long run and you want to make a financially viable system for yourself, I would definitely encourage people to invest in building up their own ConvertKit account. And what I generally say is just use the free account until you get to about a thousand subscribers when you max out the free account and then start paying. But once you have a thousand subscribers, you actually have enough people to start making money. So you can pretty quickly start paying the ConvertKit bills with the ConvertKit tools that they give you. So to me, that's way better uh, a path than trying to bootstrap yourself from the early stages using a, a paid Substack. So the final thing I'll say is that people might not think this is important, but I think it's more important than it might sound. Substack doesn't let you use a custom domain like your own justinmurphy.com or whatever, which means that Substack technically owns any of the traffic that you drive to your posts. So that might not seem significant, but if again, if you're in this for the long term and you're trying to build your own intellectual profile and a body of work that becomes financially sustainable as soon as possible you really want to own your own property. You want to own every piece of the systems that you put time and effort into building. And Substack, it makes it really quick and easy to get started on this kind of thing. But in the long run, you're giving up a lot of power and control and ownership over that. All right. If you make a lot of really valuable Substack posts and they start ranking high in Google search traffic, for instance, you want to own that. With Substack, you don't. So if you went somewhere else, for instance, you might lose all of that kind of goodwill that you've built up in the Google search rankings. Okay. So just one last thing I want to say, which is a bit of an exception to what I've been saying. I can think of probably one exception where it might make sense to use the Substack over these other methods or systems I'm talking about. And I think the one exception would be if you're truly just terrible with technology and you hate setting up even relatively simple systems, if you just are super averse to that for some reason, and also, if you have no real longer term goals, like you don't really want a grand plan of building a profile and making good money down the line, you really just want to get started writing and you want to do that as soon as possible. And you want to start building some email subscribers to your writing as soon as possible while faffing with the least amount of technology possible. And you don't really care too much about the long run, then by all means, I think actually Substack could be the best bet because it is super quick and easy. It's stylish and it has the basic functionality works and is reliable. So yeah, I think if you just want to get started writing and you want to get some email subscribers super quick and you don't really care too much about optimizing it for the long run or building a significant system or platform over time for yourself, then yeah, go for it by all means. All right. The only last thing I'll say is that I actually, because so for IndieThinkers.org, we talk about this stuff all the time, basically. And what I generally tell people is that if you are interested in building your own profile and really owning your own property and developing an audience in the way that I'm talking about, I generally suggest a particular pathway. If you have strong opinions about the type of platform you want or the type of blog you want, or you have a new, something unique about your project, then there are many other ways to do this. And there might be a better way for you, but other things equal without knowing much about any individual situation. One of the best recommendations I could throw out there, I think for a lot of people is to just use a self-hosted WordPress account. There are some things to be desired about WordPress, but it's but it's been around forever and it there's a huge developer community. It's really pretty easy to figure out. 
And most importantly, you can do pretty much anything with it in one way or another. You have complete control over it if you use a hosted solution. And that's my, it's slightly technical, but it's really not that hard at all. If you use like a site like SiteGround to host your WordPress installation, again, it's not the most sophisticated way to do it. Uh, If you're a developer or you're like super savvy with cutting edge web technologies, it's not particularly impressive or, or super cool in any way, but it's super affordable for the power and flexibility that you get. So SiteGround is something like $35 a year, and you can have a website with your own domain that you completely own, that you can eventually scale into pretty much anything. You might want to, you might want to switch your systems up later down the line if it really starts growing. But for at least the first year or two, a WordPress.org installation on a hosted solution like on SiteGround is the quickest, easiest way to have a potentially very powerful system that can grow with you in pretty much the most rapid and affordable way possible at just about 35 bucks a year. You might outgrow it. You might decide you want to move to one of the more, ho- one of the hotter kind of newer systems, like whether it be Webflow or Ghost or, or one of these newer kind of WordPress competitors. But those are more expensive for sure. So I'd say before you're making money and before you really know what direction you're going, I think building your own website, your own blog on a self-hosted WordPress.org installation on a host like SiteGround is the best way to go for many people, not for everyone, but for many people. And then what I suggest to people usually is just sign up for the free account on ConvertKit and then connect, integrate ConvertKit and your WordPress. And that's a very powerful basic system that you can get up running, get up and running pretty quickly. And it's pretty slick and potentially very powerful as you build it over time. And usually what I suggest is just use the free account on ConvertKit until you get to 1000 subscribers. But once you get to 1000 and you have to start paying ConvertKit, that's enough people to actually start making money um, with different types of paid offerings, whether it be a book or a course or whatever. So uh, that's generally the advice I give in the absence of other information about your individual's particular cases. All right. Actually, in the IndieThinkers.org library, quick shameless plug, I actually do a three-part tutorial showing you how to do all of that, essentially. And it's a screencast. So you basically can just literally follow what I'm showing you on the screen. And you can have your own personal, you know, dot-com website that you completely own that could scale into an e-commerce story. It could scale into a multi-author magazine. It could scale into pretty much anything. And for only 35 bucks a year to start, and you'll be collecting subscribers on your own email newsletter or automated content emails going out to people whenever you publish new content on your blog. I basically walk you through how to do all of that. You can do it in like less than a couple hours if you just follow my screencast step-by-step. Yeah, clearly I've been thinking about this for a while. I talk with people a lot about this. So uh, just wanted to set down once and for all my take on the on the Substack question. On the Substack question, I think it's a totally cool platform for a certain type of person. But for a lot of people who do the kind of work I do and the kind of people I interact with, uh, very often it's not the best solution. So just wanted to explain why I think that. All right, later. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, you should send it to a friend. Just email it to them or post it on your social networks, whatever. And to learn more about what we discussed in this podcast or to send me questions to address in future episodes, please just go to otherlife.co and you'll find everything there. There's actually a ton of cool stuff on there. So check it out if you haven't already. Thanks again, folks. I'll see you here next time.